Hey, I'm Chrissy. And I'm Carrie. And we are Status Macabre. How's it going? It's going. Back in town. I know. It's a late status. It is, yes. Like seven o'clock. So the last ain't a day late. Yeah, a day, a day late and an hour short. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. So Carrie's back from Key West. Yeah. Back from again. Back from Key West again. Um, and I was thinking about our trip um in November. When we go back down to Cuba. I know. I can't wait. I'm excited about that trip just because of the boat races and I've never been yeah. during the boat races. And it's going to be amazing. Awesome. I went and checked out the um, house that we're staying at because, yeah. you know, I know we were, could remember about where it was at. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to put my eyeballs on it. So, yeah. And it looks okay. It does look great. Super excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited too. So, so sorry we're late. Um, this one is going to be a long one a little bit. I got, I got a lot of research on, on Lizzie and I could have broken it up into another episode, but I was just like, nah, we're going to throw it all in one. Let's knock it out. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, I am going to start, um, from last week. I just want to kind of recap everything that, uh, you talked about and go, we'll go into the actual murders and the trial and some theories. So, Ooh, yeah. so it's going to be, yeah. And hang and on to your butts. My theory will likely change about 14 times to this. Yeah, I know. Right. That's what I do. I go back and yeah. forth, back and forth. And I'm like, no, that makes sense. No, but that makes sense. So, all right. Well, anyway, so just to recap, the Bordens are living in Fall River and that's in Massachusetts in a modest house, even though Andrew Borden is very well off. He's married to Abby, who is Lizzie and Emma's stepmother because his first wife died. Sarah, um, shortly after Lizzie was born. She is a very large woman and was essentially a spinster when Andrew married her. So um, it's a good thing he came along. I know, right? Because I don't know that anyone else would have married her. But, you know. And in those days, that was considered, I don't know, maybe. She was like 37, 38. Yeah, it was an embarrassment. Nowadays, it's like, whatever, I'll get married whenever I feel like. Whenever I feel like, as my daughter says, I'm not getting married. Good for you, (laughs) brat number three. (laughs) So Lizzie and Emma did not like Abby at all and did not return any affections toward her. So the house was always a bit strained. There was tensions were kind of high. Um, there was also Bridget Sullivan, and she's an Irish servant, um, and she was also living with the Bordens, and she did household chores, you know, work around the house for them. Mm-hmm. Well, Lizzie, at this point, is a little bit high maintenance. Uh, she really likes nice clothes, jewelry, and she's given nice things by her father, she's Andrew. She's a bit of a spoiled brat. Yeah, I was going to say, she seems to be a little bit of a spoiled brat, but she's very close to Andrew. So some facts about the Bordens. Andrew, as we said in the first episode, is a tightwad. He began his business as an undertaker. It was rumored that he had cut the feet off of corpses to make them fit into undersized coffins just to save money. Yeah. Uh, He served as a director of several banks and as a board member of three woolen mills. He foreclosed, undercut, and hoarded without flinching, even, you know, when... It was very unpopular to do Mm -hmm. so, which made him very unpopular within the community. People did not like him. Abby, after she married Andrew, became a compulsive eater. 
She was a little over five feet tall and weighed more than 200 pounds. So she was a big. So I'm and I'm not body shaming anyone. I'm just saying she was a big girl. Yeah, there was a lot to love. Well, and I don't know what made her a compulsive eater after, you know, she got married. Like what what caused her to compulsively probably the freaking stepkids. Well, either that or Andrew not spending money on food. Maybe she felt like she had to save up or something. I don't know. No. Um, remember, and I, I know it was the last episode, but that was one of the things that Lizzie said that even though her dad was a penny pitcher or yeah. whatever that name was, dinner Tight was wub. always something that he splurged on. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, maybe she just, yeah, stress I, or eater. Yeah. Stress eater. Lizzie's a bitch, yeah. so I'm going to eat. A couple <laughs> shitty stepkids. Right. Well, Emma is the oldest Borden. Um, She lived at home at the age of 42. She was dowdy, narrow-minded. And Andrew lavished his younger daughter, Lizzie, for all intents and purposes. She had just given up on marriage, too. So Lizzie was just spoiled by her father. And I I don't think Emma was too bothered by that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she was. But Lizzie had a very active life, which centered around good works in the Central Congregational Church where she taught Sunday school class to Chinese children. And these were the sons and daughters of the Fall River Laundrymen. So I guess they had like, you know, laundry shops or whatever. And they're Chinese. They migrated to or from China to America Mm -hmm. and settled there. And they had these, you know, laundry places. Um, So uh, Lizzie's charity did not extend to the home. However, Lizzie despised her stepmother and would tell people that Abby was not her mother and to never call her that. The pe- the family themselves, they just seemed very miserable. Even the house, Baxter, the furnishings contrasted sharply with Lizzie's very stylish clothes, and there was no bath or electricity, even though most of those conveniences were found elsewhere around town. So they had just a nice house with nothing in it, it sounded like. And for sanitary purposes, I mean, this just goes to show how fucking tightwad they were. They used newspaper to wipe their asses. I mean, they had a stack of newspapers that sat beside the outhouse, outhouse, which was really in the cellar. It was the water closet is what they call it. But it was in the cellar. And yeah, there was just a a stack of newspapers that they wiped their butts with, I guess, because they wouldn't pay for toilet paper. So there was no interior space um, wasted on hallways and rooms simply just opened up into one another, making it difficult for anyone to pass through unnoticed. And if you remember, like in the house, Carrie, there were rooms were just open. It was weird. There were no hallways. It was like Lizzie's room. And then all of a sudden there was another room and then another room right behind it. And there was no there was literally no hallway. It was really weird. So several days um, leading up to the murder, strange things began to happen in the Borden house. Both Andrew and Abby suffered severe vomiting. Lizzie said she felt queasy the next day, which would have been on 8-3. So 8-2, you got the Borden sick as hell. Lizzie then, you know, said she felt a little queasy. Emma was on vacation, so she was spared. Abby had um, waddled across the street to Dr. Bowens to tell him she thought that they had been poisoned because she just couldn't stop throwing up. But Dr. Bowen found out that they had warmed over fish for dinner and sent her home saying, you know, it's probably the fish. Right. 
Well, then John Morse showed up unannounced. He was Andrew's brother-in-law. He was single-minded in his pursuit of wealth, much like Andrew, and they remained friends after Andrew's first wife, Sarah, died. So John shows up at the house like, hey, I'm, I'm here. Well, that same evening, Lizzie had visited a friend, and her name was Alice Russell, and told her that there were multiple burglary attempts on the Borden home and threats against her father from unknown enemies. She said, I feel as if something was hanging over me and I cannot throw, I cannot throw off. Father has so much trouble. I am afraid somebody will do something. Which is very ominous. Yes, it because is. we all know She's what happens. Her, yeah. Her little, she's spinning her web. Yeah. Well, and then everybody knows the rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. When actually the Bordens only received 29 wax. Not the 81 suggested in the rhyme, but 29 doesn't, you know, I guess roll off the tongue as easily as 40 and 41. Mm -hmm. But total, they were only 29. So on a hot August 4th, 1892 at 92 2nd Street and Fall River, Bridget, who they called lovingly Maggie, Sullivan, the maid, um, in the Borden House residence, rested in her bed after having washed the outside windows. She heard the bell at City Hall ring and looked at her clock. It was 11 o'clock in the morning. A cry from Lizzie Borden, the younger of the Borden sisters, as we know, started screaming, Maggie, come down, come down quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. A half hour or so later after the body quote, hacked almost beyond recognition, end quote, of Andrew Borden had been covered in the downstairs search by police for evidence of an intruder, a neighbor had come to comfort Lizzie, and her name was Adelaide Churchill. She made a grisly discovery on the second floor of the Borden home. It was the body of Abby Borden, Lizzie's stepmother. So she couldn't find, nobody could find Abby. They, they, they had thought that she had, you know, gone to see a sick friend, but Mrs. Churchill went through the house looking, you know, to see if there were any, was anything else, or if maybe Abby was there, nobody knew. And that's when she found Lizzie's stepmom, Abby. The investigators found Abby's body very cold, while Andrew's had been discovered warm, indicating that Abby had been killed earlier, probably at least 90 minutes earlier than her husband. Hmm. So two days after the murder, papers began reporting evidence that 33-year-old Lizzie might have had something to do with her parents' murders. Wait, 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 wait. Can I, I get asked? Yeah. So you said two days after the murders is when papers start reporting that mm -hmm. maybe Lizzie had something to do with it. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. But this was, do we know, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, do we know if she was considered a suspect before this was being reported or was this some, you know how reporters are nowadays, right? Well, and I think it's the same thing back then. It was, I mean, this was, you know, how people got their news and word traveled fast. So it was, you know, the yeah. reporters were the ones that were saying something, but it was also a, um, a man, a clerk at S.R. Smith drugstore in Fall River. His name was Eli Vince. He told police that Lizzie visited the store the day before the murder and attempted to purchase Prussic acid, oh. which is a very deadly poison. Mm -hmm. and, but a lot of times that was used for killing rats, rats yeah. mice, you know, in people's houses. And it was the day before, but it was also two days or the day after, you know, Abby and Andrew 
had been sick. So I don't know that the poison had anything to do with them being sick. And did you say Lizzie was sick at this time or no? She said she was queasy. That's it, queasy. Okay, she had been she queasy. Sick. She wasn't sick. Right. So a story in the Boston Daily Globe reported rumors that Lizzie and her stepmother never got along, as we know, um, together peacefully, and that for a considerable time back, they had not spoken. But noted also that family members insisted relations between the two women were quite normal. So you had some contradictory yeah. information coming from, you know, reporters who were probably trying to, you know, exacerbate the situation in the Morton house. Um, the Boston Herald, meanwhile, viewed Lizzie as above suspicion because they didn't think that a woman could actually right. commit those murders. And what, I wish they still thought that today. I know. Well, they thought that from the consensus of opinion, this is what they quoted, it can be said that, quote, in Lizzie Borden's life, there is not one unmaidenly or nor a single deliberately unkind act, end quote. They literally thought she was a saint. And I think it was just because of all the things that she did with the church. Police came to the conclusion that the murders must have been committed by someone within the Borden home, but were puzzled by the lack of blood anywhere except on the bodies of the victims and their inability to uncover any obvious murder weapon. Because there was nothing that pointed that, hey, they used this to, you know, kill the Bordens. Increasingly, suspicion turned toward Lizzie since her older sim- um, sister, Emma, was out of the home at the time of the murder. So investigators found it odd that Lizzie knew so little of her mother's whereabouts after 9 a.m. when, according to Lizzie, she had gone upstairs to put shams on the pillows. They also found unconvincing her story that during the 15 minutes in which Andrew Bord- Borden was murdered in the living room, Lizzie was out in the barnyard um, or the bar- backyard barn looking for irons, which were lead sinkers because they were going to go on a fishing trip. So the barn loft where she said she had, you know, looked, revealed no footprints on the dusty floor and the stifling heat in the loft seemed likely, you know, to discourage anyone from spending even more than a few minutes out there. So they felt like, yeah, maybe Lizzie's lying. Well, theories about a tall male intruder were reconsidered, and one leading physician explained that hacking is almost a positive sign of a deed by a woman who is unconscious of what she is doing. So, meaning she's fucking crazy. Yeah. Or she snapped. She's fucking snapped. Right. right. She could have very well could have. And I mean, we've all done shit where we were like, what did I just do? Yeah. Whether what? it's driving home or. Oh, yeah. You're like in a hypnotic state or whatever. You know, <laughs> I, the shit I took a turn there, but just saying. I don't I don't remember beating the shit out of my husband. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it was more obvious the motive being that Lizzie was in line to inherit part of Andrew's fortune, which would be estimated to be more than eight million dollars in today's money. Eight million dollars. That's I just insane. Want, like, I just want, I want a piece. Why not me? I know. I don't know. Because you weren't born in 1870 and you weren't Lizzie. Yeah, but I get to poop in a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, that even, that makes it worse. <laughs> I mean, there's your silver lining. There's always the silver lining. <laughs> so I'm going to read a little bit about the autopsies of both Andrew and Abby. So August 11th, 1892, um, Andrew Borden was um, 
his autopsy was performed. So it was one week after their death. So it says body of a man was well-nourished, aged uh, 70 years. He was five feet, 11 in height, no no stiffness of death on account of decomposition, which was far advanced. Um, He had a hernia on the right side. Um, The abdomen had been already opened. So he had artificial teeth in his upper jaw. There were no marks of violence on the body, but on left side of head and face, there were numerous incised wounds and one contused wound penetrating into the brain. So the wounds beginning at the nose and to the left were as follows. There was an incised wound four inches long beginning at lower border of left nasal bone and reaching to lower edge of lower jaw, cutting through nose, upper lip, lower lip, and slightly into the bone of the upper and lower jaw. So, I mean, like his body was just freaking hat. Yeah. Like just hat. Yeah. So, um, and there was another that began at internal angle of eye and extended to one and three eight inches of lower edge of the jaw, beginning four and a half inches in length, cutting through the tissues and into the bone. There was a third which began at the lower border of the lower eye lid, cutting through the tissues and into the cheekbone, two inches long and one and three eight inches deep. The fourth was began two inches above the eye lid, half inch external to wound of number three, which was, you know, the eye, and then downward and outward through the middle of the left eyebrow, through the eyeball, cutting it completely in half mm. and existing, or excuse me, excising a piece of the skull one and a half inches in length by half inch length and width. The length of wood... Um, be four and a half inches total. Um, there was another that began on the level of the same wound, superficial scalp um, wound downward, and it was two inches long. There was another that was parallel with this one. Um, and then there was a couple more just like cuts. Right. Um, but uh, basically, his body or his face had just been hacked. So and I can imagine like his eyeball cut in half, falling out of his eye. It was just a mess. So Abby Borden, um, it was a body of a female, um, very well nourished and very fleshy. She was 64 years of age. I guess fleshy being that she was, um, she, she was, was maybe fleshy. It's um, a nice way of saying she plump. was fat. <laughs> she was plump. plump, right? She was five feet, three inches high. No stiffness of death. Um, she, of, of course, was decomposing. Um, the abdomen had already been op- um, open. She, she too, had artificial teeth. Um, and there was no marks of violence on the front of the body. But on the bad, back of the body was first an incised wound two and a half inches in length and two and a half inches in depth. The lower angle of the wound was over her spine and four inches below the junction of neck with um, the body and extending upward and outward to the left on the forehead and bridge of the nose were three contused wounds. Those on the forehead being oval and lengthwise with the body. Second, the contusion on bridge of the nose was one inch in length on half inch in width. Third on the forehead, one was one inch above the left eyebrow, one and one fourth inches long and three inches, I'm sorry, three eighths inches in wet width. And the other one was 
one fourth inches above the eyebrow and one and one half inches long and a fourth inch wide. So it seems like there was just a lot of like back and forth, like, you know, contusion, you know, like with a, with an ax. Right. Um, but there were, um, counting from left to right with the face downwards, there were wounds all over. Um, there was a glancing scalp wound, two inches in length. Um, and there were situated like three inches above the ear hole and it just cut from above downwards and did not penetrate the skull. So it was just like a big gaping wound. Hmm. Um, two was exactly on top of the skull, one inch long penetrating into but not through the skull. So that one didn't even penetrate the skull. Um, Three was parallel with number two. And it was like half inch long and penetrating through the skull. There was another one that was two and fourth inches long above like the eye. And it it was a a protuberance and one and a half inches long. And then again, there was just more hacking. Um, there was one uh, behind the ear hole that was crushing and carrying bone into the brain. So that, that likely, um, would have definitely, um, killed her right there. But there's a whole lot of other, as you can see, there's like two and a half inches, one half inch, because then, and and if you think about it, you're holding the ax and you're just hacking away that the ax couldn't have been very long. You know what I mean? Like the head of the ax. Right. Couldn't have been very long. So there were these small About wounds. two and a half inches, three yeah, inches. <laughs> yeah, that are just hacks all over the head. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's kind of gruesome when you think about it. There were just a shit ton of hacks. So going to the trial, on August 9th, an inquest into the Borden murders was held in the courtroom over the police headquarters. So before criminal magistrate um, and the district attorney questioned Lizzie Borden, Bridget Sullivan, and the household guest, John Morse, and others. So this was right before the trial. There's, this was the inquest. They um, questioned everybody that was in the house at the time. During her four hours of examination, Lizzie gave very confused and con- um, contradictory answers. Two days later, the inquest adjourned and the police chief arrested Lizzie. Hmm. Um, and I guess it was just based off of everything that everybody said. And of course, you know, Lizzie's own contradictory responses. The next day, Lizzie entered a plea of not guilty to the charges of murder and was transported by rail car to the jail in, in town. And it was eight miles to the north of Fall River. It was another town called Taunton. On August 22nd, Lizzie returned to Fall River courtroom for her preliminary hearing, at the end of which the judge pronounced her probably guilty and ordered probably her guilty. Yes, probably guilty. Um, and ordered her to face a grand jury and possible charges for the murder of her parents. Probably guilty. He was like, Yeah, she's probably guilty. Let's just get her out. In November, the grand jury met. After the after first refusing to issue an indictment, the jury reconvened and heard new evidence from Alice Russell. Now, if you remember, Alice Russell was the one um, that said that Lizzie um, was talking about threatened um, threats from enemies. um, She was worried about burglars. Exactly, she was worried about her father. Russell told also the grand jury that she had witnessed Lizzie burning a blue dress in a kitchen fire, allegedly, because Lizzie explained her action. It was covered with old paint. 
So in addition to, hey, you know, there's some issues with uh, her dad receiving threats, uh, she is burning a, a, a dress. So, um, and because of that, the evidence was enough to convince grand jurors to indict Lizzie for the murder of her parents. So obviously that cut ties with, you know, her as a friend. So (laughs) I don't think Russell was, yeah, she wasn't going to be a friend of the Bordens anymore. The trial of Lizzie opened on June 5th, 1893 in the new Bedford courthouse before a panel of three judges. So how she had a high powered defense team, including Andrew Jennings and George Robinson, who was actually the former governor of Massachusetts. Um, And he represented the defendant while District Attorney Knowlton and Thomas Moody argued the case for the prosecution. The prosecutor described Lizzie as the only person having both the motive and opportunity to commit the double murders and then pulled from a bag the head of the axe that he claimed Lizzie used to kill her parents. So that was kind of telling you kind of threw it on the table like, hey. This is what she used. The most important of these witnesses was 26-year-old Bridget Sullivan, testified that Lizzie was the only person she saw in the home at the time her parents were murdered, though she provided some consolation to the defense when she said that she had not witnessed during over her two years of service of the family signs of rumored ugly relationship between Lizzie and her stepmother. So I find that really hard to believe. Right. So I, it, it's funny that Bridget, you know didn't help the prosecution, but she also didn't hurt the defense. So it was kind of like a, uh, see if I can, you know, paint some gray. Right. (laughs) A fence writer. Right. She said that everything was pleasant. Lizzie and her mother always spoke to each other. Um, Other prosecution witnesses disputed Sullivan's, you know, statements um, that all was fine between Lizzie and her stepmother. For example, there was a lady named Hannah Guilford who had made a garment for Lizzie a few months before the murders and described a conversation in which Lizzie called her stepmother, quote, a mean, good for nothing thing, end quote, and said, quote, I don't have much to do with her. I stay in my room most of the time, end quote. Sullivan also testified that Andrew and Abby Borden experienced stomach pains on the day before the murder and told jurors that at the presumed time of Abby's murder, Lizzie claimed she was washing windows outside. So again, did not hurt or help. Right. So um, Sullivan testified that she opened the door for Andrew Borden after he returned home from his walk about town and then described Lizzie's cry for help. Um, a few minutes later, after 11 o'clock, several witnesses described seeing Andrew Borden at various points in town in two hours before he returned home to his death. Household guests, which Uncle John Morse, um, which was, you know, uh, Andrew's brother-in-law, he was age 60 and described having breakfast in the Borden home on the morning of the murders and then leaving the house to perform chores. So he kind of like was there and then left. But I do find it odd that he was there. Like he just showed up unannounced. Right. On cross. Well, everything is suspicious now, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, everything is, what does that really mean? Hey, I just stopped by for, for dinner. Yeah. yeah. But why? Yeah. There's gotta be a reason <laughs> why. Well, on cross-examination, Seabury agreed with the defense's suggestion that the morphine he prescribed for Lizzie might account 
for some of the confusing, contradictory testimony she gave the inquest following the murders. Now, Seabury was a doctor, and he was called to explain why maybe Lizzie gave a, not necessarily a false confession, but all the contradictory statements. Um, did we say morphine? Yeah, so he had pre- yeah he had pre- um, prescribed. That's Lizzie. my that's my excuse. I don't care. Yeah. Well, you gave me morphine, Dick. What do you think? Right. Well, and it was because after you know the murders, Lizzie was upset. She was in shock, and so you know back then doctors oh, were it. like, "Here, have some cocaine." Hey, um, <laughs> you know, I, th- there's not a lot Sorry. of things that I keep I kicking. I, I do enjoy the alcohol. Right, um, right. I have had morphine oh, a couple God. of times because I had to have surgery. Yeah. And thank God I cannot buy that shit on the streets. Really? It's that yes. good. I can't. I've never I, had morphine. I have. I had it um, after my C-section. Yeah, you, yes. And then I had it after a surgery. Now, they give you this pump, but there's, they're limited, right? You can press that bitch all the I was long. getting ready to say, I mean, that's it's usually what they give hospice patients. Like when they're yeah. ready. A lot when, of people that's it. it. Yeah. I, I got it. I've, I've had it a couple of times. And yeah, if. Uh, and please don't ever anybody tell me that there's some street drug that gives you the same. She's going to go buy it. Cause I'm going to, Oh my God. Trigger warning for those trigger of you. Warning. <laughs> Jeez, God. I'm just saying that. It's so so good. why not me in the 1800s? <laughs> yeah. Right. Why not me? <laughs> well, Adelaide Churchill, again, the lady um, who came to cup comfort Lizzie and found Abby um, she's remembered Lizzie wearing a light blue dress with a diamond figure on it, but not recall seeing any blood spots on it. So she testified well, it was burned, she didn't right? see. No, so this was a different, well. It was another dress? Supposedly, right? Okay. I, I don't know. John Fleet, the assistant marshal of Fall River, recalled his interview with Lizzie shortly after the murders. Lizzie corrected him. He testified when he called Abby Borden her mother. Yeah, I was wondering, because yeah. you've been saying mother, 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 and I know the rhyme, and you know, yeah, yeah. but I was wondering when she was going to correct that. Yeah, and so she said, quote, she was not my mother, sir, end quote, Lizzie replied. Quote, she was my stepmother. My mother died when I was a child, end quote. So that just shows you just like how much she really did dislike Abby, yes, even in her death. The most compelling testimony came again from Alice Russell. Because Alice is just, she keeps throwing Lizzie up underneath the bus. Russell described a visit from Lizzie the night before. Again, remember, we just talked about this. Um, And what she announced that she would soon be going on a vacation and felt, quote, that something is hanging over me. I cannot tell what it is, end quote. Then according to Russell, after describing her parents' severe stomach sickness, which she had attributed to, you know, just the the bad fish. (laughs) Yeah. Lizzie revealed, I feel afraid something is going to happen. Shut up. I want everybody to have the right to fucking remain. Yeah, exactly. Explaining her feeling, Lizzie told Russell that she wanted to go to sleep with one eye half open the time for fear somebody might burn the house down or hurt her father because he was so discourteous to people. So again, you got Alice, you know, throwing Lizzie underneath the bus. But I mean, she said what she said. So, I mean, and again, we just said it sounded like Lizzie was trying to set up the situation. Yeah, it do. So 
Turning his questioning to the Sunday after the murders, District Attorney Moody asked Russell about the dress burning incident. Russell recounted that when she asked Lizzie what she was doing with the blue dress, she replied, I'm going to burn this old thing up. It is covered with paint. So at least, you know, there's some consistency there. But why Here's a question. do you need to burn it just because I had paint I was going to say, is this something that they did in the 1800s where it's like, hey, <laughs> these are... These are bad. They've got paint on them. I'm going to burn them. Let's just burn no, it. I'm pretty sure they would cut it up and use it for something else. As right? a cloth. As a cloth. Or a rag of something. Yeah. Somebody like her. I agree. Give it to a church. Somebody who doesn't have clothes to wear. Exactly. Well, you see all the free t-shirts I have. You know I love a free t-shirt. I know, so. right? I don't care if it came from Goodwill or not. We'll wear the hell out of it. So the defense made its cause using, for the most part, the state's own witnesses. The defense kept hammering at the contradictory testimony of key prosecution witnesses. The defense also explored holes in the prosecution case, where the defense asked, is the hand is the handle that supposedly broke off from the axe head that the state hauled into court and claimed was part of the murder weapon? The state had no answer. Like literally. Like was was that axe head you threw on the table in the beginning of, you know, opening statements really the murder weapon or was that just hey we we think they she used the axe right mm-hmm. the defense also exploited the government's own timeline which allowed from eight to 13 minutes between andrew borden's murder and lizzie's call to bridget sullivan robinson tried to suggest the difficulty of washing blood off one's you know self the clothes and murder weapon of blood and then hiding the murder weapon all within that short span of time. That's only 13 minutes. So really I don't, but then again, I can haul ass and do some things, right. you know, yeah. I can run yeah. around and hurry up and you know, your parents are coming over. Oh shit. I got to clean my house real quick. I can do some shit in 13 minutes. <laughs> you would be surprised. The prosecution have a whole world of things done. This place could look like a completely different right? place. Right? Just minutes. throw some shit in the room. Yep. And, God, my house is spotless. I think that's a female thing. Maybe. We, it, it absolutely is. Possibly. Okay. Possibly. The, prosec- the prosecution rested its case on June 14th after one final defeat. The state wanted to have druggist Eli Bentz recount for the jury his story of Lizzie Borden visiting a fall drugstore on the day of the murders and asking for 10 cents worth of prussic acid. But now, again, that acid was bought, it sounded like the day before the murders, but that was two days before, or two days after, rather, uh, I'm sorry, one day after, I can't count, um, that the, you know, Bordens were sick. Right. right. So I don't know that the acid had anything to do with it because. Well, I mean, it's, I mean. What's that got to do with it? Um, I mean, maybe she, I mean, I could see if she was trying to poison them and they got sick. And she chickened out. And she chickened out and then decided, well, screw it. I'm just going to hit them with an axe. But they got sick. Then she went to go buy the um, acid and then she killed them. So I don't. I mean, personally, I don't think that the acid has anything to do with it, but maybe I'm just not seeing things right. Well, and you know, we, we're all, we're all speculating. Oh, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the jurors were excused, um, each leaving the courtroom with a palm leaf fan, not because can you imagine like sitting in the courtroom in August it's or June rather it's fucking hot as hell. Well, and, and notes 
all the jurors were men, just so you know, and who probably think that women couldn't, you know, right. do shit. So the judges, after listening to the state's case, concluded that the evidence should be excluded, which is funny. So all this, you know, the druggist, um, the stuff about anything to do with um, that whole situation, even with metal, medical experts coming in, all of that crap was excluded as evidence. Hmm. So the jury, jurors really had nothing to use as evidence. <laughs> like, was that why they said not guilty. Exactly. So the defense only presented a handful of witnesses. Charles Guilford, Gifford, I'm sorry, and Uriah Kirby reported seeing a strange man near the Borden house around 11 o'clock on the night before the murders. Dr. Benjamin Hanfrey testified that he saw a pale-faced young man on the sidewalk near the house around 10.30 on August 4th. A plumber and a gas fitter testified that in the day or two before the murders, they had been in the Borden's barn loft, casting doubt on police assertions that Lizzie's alibi was suspect because dust in the loft appeared undisturbed. So they kind of said, you know, yeah, that's bullshit. Well, Emmy, Emma, Emma, not Emmy, Emma Borden, the older sister, was um, the defense's most anticipated witness. Emma testified that Lizzie and her father enjoyed a very good relationship. She told jurors that the gold ring found on the little finger of his body was given to him 10 or 15 years ago by Lizzie, and he prized it. Like, that was one of his prized possessions. Yeah. Emma also insisted that relations between Lizzie and her stepmother were cordial, even as she admitted to lingering resentment over, you know, the transfer of her father of a Fall River home because really because what Andrew a, was rich. What about whatever Emma? Like, yeah. We know how much Emma was a catalyst. Yes, yes. For the mind games between Lizzie, Lizzie and, and Abby. Abby. Yeah, exactly. So and now so, I think she's in protect my blood mode, protect it, my sister mode. Definitely. Which I get it. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, but she she basically was trying to say that, you know, we were pissed because, you know, Andrew gave or our dad gave Abby a house that was our grandfather's. But, you know, we got over it. Mm-hmm. Well, the defense also hoped that Emma might testify that Borden's that the Borden's had a custom of di- disposing of remnants and pieces of dresses by burning. <laughs> there goes your question. But the court ruled the evidence inadmissible. So, so. they couldn't even bring it up anyway. Right, exactly. Lizzie did not testify in her own defense at all. She just kind of sat back and let everybody, you know, do the work. Well, the delivery, uh, the delivery, I, I, again, let me. Rented lips. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I think whoever is the one um, on stage for that night yeah. has the rent constantly. We're just passing rented lips back. I, yeah, I agreed. I, I completely agree with you. But it's not until a little bit later in the conversation where I'm like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I always just goes downhill. I don't know what happens. It's downhill. Well, the jury deliberated an hour and a half before returning its verdict. The clerk asked the foreman of the jury, what is your verdict? Not guilty. The foreman replied simply. Lizzie let out a yell, sank into her, into her chair, rested her hands on a courtroom rail, put her face in her hands, and then let out a second cry of joy. Soon Emma, her counsel, and courtroom spectators were, you know, rushing over to say, oh, congratulations, congratulations. She hid her face in her sister's arms and announced, quote, now take me home. I want to go to the old place and go at once tonight, end quote. So that was 
essentially the, you know, trial in itself. Right. And I read a lot of about, you know, a lot of men just felt like Lizzie could not pull it off. Like they were, there were quotes and I left them out because just kind of pissed me off. But men were saying, you know, women really are good for one thing. A couple things, right? Yeah. Having sex and uh, maybe childbirth and maybe making a meal or something. Yeah, like and cleaning the house. Yeah. Exactly. And and they their minds are not complex enough to come up with a plan to kill their parents. And that was, I kid you not, that's what most of the men saw. So they had gone in and they said it was an hour and a half, right? But they knew. They were smoking cigars and having Exactly. There were reports that it was no shit 10 minutes when they walked in and they all had a unanimous vote that she was not guilty. Yeah. And they just, I'm not shocked by this. At yeah. All. They, she just wasn't guilty. Well, I, you know, there's some theories out there because some, some people think Lizzie's not guilty. Other people think, you know, she is. So I've, 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 you know, researched a little bit. I found, you know, several different theories. Um, one of them, which I think it's funny. Um, it's unclear, but some folks think Lizzie was gay. Um, uh, and it had to do, you know, with her being a, uh, in love with Bridget Sullivan. Right. And so nobody knows whether or not that's true, but they, they, it's been said that they had an affair. Some have supposed, um, Abby and, um, Lizzie were caught together, um, leading Lizzie Borden to kill her. So they think that Abby caught, you know them doing the deed or doing something. So she had to die. Right. Others have said uh, Andrew Borden was the one that caught them. Um, Either way, if you kill one, you got to kill the other. The theory is rooted in guesswork. Obviously many people have pinpointed Borden's real life friendship with the actress, Nance O'Neill, which we'll talk about in a little bit um, with whom she had a particularly very close relationship um, of which her sister really disapproved of. Um, Emma did not like the um, relationship um, as evidence that Borden was a lesbian. The public nature of their friendship between um, this actress and Lizzie meant that such gossip was already circulating during their lifetimes. And um, a, an account of O'Neill's life by um, this lady, Jennifer Jones Cavanaugh, actually um, wrote that, you know, Nance may have been a lesbian. On the other hand, Borden was an infamous figure and an unmarried woman, something that could have subjected any woman to, um, you know, extra judgment of that time. So there was no evidence that, you know, either one of them was really a lesbian. It's just rumored just because they had not been married. Right. And the rumor mill is going to go crazy. Absolutely. After, you know, a murder. Yeah. So um, the other theory, which is really kind of in depth, um, but it's about John Morse. So we know John Morse showed up on their doorstep to spend the night. He ate breakfast and then left. Um, He uh, there was a there's a member of the Lizzie Borden Society. Um, He published I think his name was Lee Young. Um, He published an article accusing John Morse as the real murderer. The theory is that John actually hired someone to commit the murders. 
So it has a lot to do with the timeline. So bear with me as I go through this. But at 9.25 a.m., John and Andrew left the house. Well, a minute before that, Andrew, I'm sorry, Lizzie and Bridget were talking. So it's everything that happened after Lizzie and Bridget spoke at 9.24. 9.25, Andrew and John leave the house. Two conspirators of Morse went towards the Borden house after Bridget, Bridget and Lizzie exchanged words downstairs at the side door. Bridget went to the barn to get the handle for the brush and, um, you know, to wash the windows. And Lizzie went to her own room. The two conspirators reached the house. One of them hid at the corner at the south side of the house. The other one, the false messenger, rang the front door. Fortunately for them, it was Abby who opened the door. She saw a stranger standing nearby the fence, which separated the house from the street. The messenger hands Abby a note at the door from Miss X. We're just going to call her Miss X because we don't know what the name of this lady was. Meanwhile, the killer went into the house. He went upstairs, then into the guest room as they had planned. He did all this very quietly and silently silently as possible. The conversation between Abby and the messenger continued. Abby asked the messenger if he knows Miss X, and he says he doesn't, but he thinks it was her husband that handed him a note and said, hey, can you go deliver deliver this to Abby? Now, remember, in, you know, what really happened was Abby supposedly, according to Lizzie, had been summoned to go visit somebody who was sick. And so that's where they think that note basically said, so-and-so is sick, go, you know, go see her. Well, Abby then reads the note and puts it in her pocket and tells the messenger goodbye. The messenger still, though, goes on to say that he ran into Mr. Morse on the way, on his way here, who was actually an acquaintance of his, who told him he spent the night at the boarding house and left his watch in the room and asked if he could go fetch it for him, which kind of adds up a little bit. He says the watch may have dropped on the floor near the headboard of the bed. The messenger then finally leaves. Well, at 9.28 a.m., Bridget comes out of the barn to wash the windows, but stops and talks to Mary, who is a neighbor. Meanwhile, Abby goes back into the house and closes the front door and sees Lizzie, who was just going downstairs to her room. They had, they had their last conversation in the hallway. Abby tells Lizzie she got a note from someone that was sick and she was going to go out and was going to get dinner along the way. Well, that conversation ended at 9.29 a.m. as Abby goes to the front door and Lizzie went downstairs into the cellar to use the toilet. After having locked the door, Abby goes upstairs and then into the guest room where the killer was waiting for her behind the door. So Lizzie thinks her mom left you know, to go visit the sick person, um, whoever's on the note, this Mrs. X. Well, 9.30 a.m. after having entered the guest room and suspecting nothing, Abby went straight to the head of the bed to look for the watch. She kneels on the floor to search, you know, really good. Of course, the killer approaches her and Abby hears the footsteps. She lifts her head, but by then it's too late. She receives the first blow that almost kills her immediately. At that moment, Lizzie was in the water closet, which, you know, the the toilet, in the cellar. So she doesn't hear shit. Bridget is chatting with the neighbor outside. So nobody notices, you know, anything strange. Well, 
from 9.30 to 11 o'clock. After Abby is killed, the killer searches through Abby's pockets, finds the note, takes it so that the police can't use it as evidence, which is why the note was was never found. Then the killer was all the time hiding himself in the guest room with Abby's body lying on the floor and with the door closed, just like Lizzie said afterwards in her testimony. Fortunately, he was just never found by Lizzie or Bridget because the door had been closed and he was just sitting in that room. When Andrew came home, the killer waited until the best time to leave the guest room and went to kill Andrew and didn't close the door when he left. That's why Bridget and Mrs. Churchill, which is who found Abby, found it open when they um, went there to look for Abby. So there she was, all out on the floor. Around 11, the killer murdered Andrew and escaped by the side door, taking the weapon with him. That's why that weapon was not found in the house, and it was never, ever found anywhere. They never found a weapon. Believers of this, theory, of this theory say that mysterious note did actually exist. The killer used it not only to prevent Lizzie and Bridget from looking for Abby, but also to get rid of the suspicion that Abby might have had. Why didn't Morse return to fetch the watch himself? Why did he send somebody else? The note and the watch were two plots in one. Lizzie's attorney believed this as well, stating, quote, that note called the delivery of the bearer of some articles from Mr. Morse's room. The assailant followed Mrs. Borden into that room and that he afterwards regained possession of the note. It was never found, end quote. Since Lizzie was the prime suspect, she could have lied about her whereabouts, placing herself far away as possible from the guest room where Abby was killed. But she was in her room when the conversation between the messenger and Abby occurred, and she met Abby for the first time in the front hall and was told by her stepmother about the note story. So that's where that note story came from. Is It was actually true. It could also, though, been John Morris that killed Right. Abby and um, Andrew, because his statement was just filled with inconsistencies. Um, The thought was that Morse was having an affair with Bridget. During the previous visits, Morse apparently slept in on the third guest room floor, which was not far from Bridget's room. If you remember, up, you know, the third floor, there was a guest room and then there was Bridget's room. Well, in the spring of 1892, he was moved to the second floor guest room where Abby was found dead. So that room, he may have left the house early and then, you know, planned to return to come back to get with Bridget. But he found out that, Miss, you know, Abby was still at the house. So still the note theory there was, you know, to get her out of the house, but she was still there. And so he was like, shit, I got to I got to kill her now. Right. Well, and then because I killed Abby, again, you got to kill the husband. So it's, you know, Andrew could have been. I mean, but you don't because it you was know, so, so, so far apart. You yeah. Know? Like, right. I don't, this one seemed, this one, this theory seems far-fetched for me. Which one? The one that John Morris? Yeah. Or that John Morris had somebody kill him? The, both. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying clearly. Yeah. Anything, but it's just, this one seems like it's the, it's a little far-fetched. Far-fetched. Yeah. Well, either way, Bridget moved to Montana. So she, it, there was some speculation. Never hooked up, right? Well, there's some speculation that she was paid off because, again, she moved to Montana, lived on this a, a large plot of, a plot of land. She did get married, um, but Morse left and he moved to Iowa 
and neither one returned to Fall River ever again. So, but there was also the theory that, you know, uh, Morse did it to keep the money in the family because he was afraid that Abby and Emma would not get the money that Abby was going to get it all. Right. So he wanted to keep the money in the family um, and he killed both of them all. You could still have just killed Abby. I completely agree with you. That's why it's weird that, yeah, I mean, maybe Andrew was just, you know, a casualty. 90 minutes. Of, right? of, 90 uh, minutes after Abby was killed, Andrew was killed. To me, that's just too far. That's too long of a time to be a casualty. Yeah. yeah. If it's, you know, like, ten, you know, I don't know, smaller small. than an hour and a half. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, if a killer was in the room and he knew if, you know, he knew Andrew wasn't home. Why wait 90 minutes? Yeah. But I mean, why not? Why? Well, because you were hired to kill oh, Andrew. I don't, but, yeah, no, I don't believe it now. And Abby. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like whoever did it, right? Yeah. Whoever. Yeah. Like if it was Lizzie, mm-hmm. why, killed your, why kill your dad after 90 minutes? No, I agree. I don't, I, I don't know. It's weird. So, it's very right, weird. Anyway, go ahead. Well, so there are a lot of people. I think the majority of people really do believe Lizzie did it. So. I got about 14 reasons as to why Lizzie did it. (laughs) Right. So if not Lizzie, then who? Honestly, only Lizzie had a good opportunity to commit the murders at the time of her mother's murder, which was again around 930. Household guest John Morse was visiting. He said he was visiting relatives Um, and her sister was out of town. So Andrew Borden was running errands around town and the maid was outside washing windows. So Lizzie was literally the only one in the house at the time. Abby's murder took place. And there was no, I mean, I didn't read it anywhere. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you've read it anywhere in, you know, your search, but there was never anything where there was a conspiracy between Lizzie and Emma. Like, right. Now, they're originally, they admit, I did read that they originally thought Emma may have been the, the mastermind behind all of it, but that was quickly um, distinguished. Yeah, it, I said distinguished. Extinguished. Extinguished. I wasn't um, going to say late. anything. It's yeah. late. I, it's late. It's eight. Um, so, yeah, uh, to commit both bur- murders, though, I mean, like if it was an outside intruder, just like you said, they would have had to wait in the house for 90 full minutes. Yeah. And I don't, I don't until care Andrew came back. And at that time, I don't know how many. Yeah. I, but nine, do you know my anxiety? I'd be flying all around that place. <laughs> Jumping out the window. Well, okay. So number two, it looked, it looks like an inside job. Police found no signs of forced entry into the Borden home. Um, and nothing appeared to have been stolen. No stranger was ever seen entering or leaving the Borden house on the morning of the murder. So we know it wasn't robbery. Right. So it had to be, like you say, an inside job. It had to yeah. be somebody who knew the house inside and out. Agreed. Which would make both theories possible. Right. Agreed. Three, although Lizzie claimed to have been downstairs at the very time her mother was violently murdered upstairs, she said she heard no alarming noises. This despite her mother having been struck several times with an axe and falling on the floor. And remember, Abby ain't no small, petite little thing. She's not going to fall like a feather. Right. And then she's going down hard. Right. (laughs) And even though the house was, you know, old and I don't think it was huge, huge, it's thin. Right. Yeah. So those those sounds carry. Oh, absolutely. Number four, on August 3rd, the day before the murders, 
Witnesses identified Lizzie as having visited the Smith's drugstore in Fall River where she attempted to buy that poison. So she explained that she needed the acid to clean um, a seal skin cape, which her father had actually bought her. Um, but I, I don't know why that would clean the cape. Who knows? But anyway, the druggist, though, refused to sell it to her. So again, that's what this whole thing with the acid, I think, is just like a red herring. Right. Um, five, on the night before the murders, Lizzie visited the neighbor, asked um, Assel. I'm, I'm mixing names together. You are. Alice Russell. And told her that she feared that something was coming, you know, some enemy was going to come and kill her father. So that, again, like we said, she's setting up the, she's, you know, setting up the scene. You know, um, six, Lizzie told police that while she was alone in the house with her mother on the morning of the murder, a messenger came to the door with a note summoning, summoning her mother to visit a sick friend. Lizzie told people that she assumed her mother had left. Despite a thorough search of the board house, no such alleged note was ever found. But we do. Again, it could be if the, if there was an intruder, they could have taken the note, knowing it would have been evidence that it wasn't Lizzie that killed her parents. Right. Seven, when Bridget Sullivan came back inside after having finished washing the windows around 1030, she reported hearing a muffled laugh coming from upstairs. She assumed it was Lizzie making a noise. Lizzie, of course, denied being upstairs during this time period between her mother's murder and her father's murder. So I don't. I don't know if that's, we know Lizzie was the only one home, but at 1030, she's laughing. There weren't phones back then, were there? I don't think so. 18, when was this? Six, when was this? Um, 92. Uh, I think there was phones back oh, then. Oh, maybe, right? well, I don't know. Maybe she patched in. <laughs> but even if there was, Whoa, I'm sure the cheapass didn't have it. I don't know. At the time, so number eight, at the time of the murder, Andrew Borden, Lizzie claimed to have been in the loft of the backyard barn for 10 to 15 minutes looking for the sinkers for a fishing excursion. That's when police found the loft like super hot and it was difficult to believe that he would, you know, anybody would have been in there. So especially for 20 minutes. So and they didn't find any footprints. So they don't feel like, you know, that story was very mm, right. Solid. So, um, number nine, Lizzie had a strained relationship with her stepmother, as we know. Um, they usually ate their meals separately, supposedly. Some theorize that Lizzie represented, or excuse me, resented the fact that her father had transferred, you know, one of the Falls River um, properties to Abby. Um, and we know that she would go on to say that, you know, she's not my mother. She's my stepmother. Right. 10, although Lizzie appeared to have somewhat better relationship with her distant and forbidding father, there were no problems. Um, there were problems there as well. Lizzie was outraged, for example, when her father beheaded pigeon, pigeons in the barn loft for which she had built a roost. So I also found claims, though, that that was not yeah. a true statement. I was going to say, I, I had in, in my research for the part that I did, um, it was questionable. Yeah, they said it was not true. Um, it was proven to be false, in fact. But, but it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you, I, not yeah. everywhere, but that the pigeon story was, Yeah, I, I read it more that it happened than it was potentially didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, 11 in the week before the murders, um, following an apparent family argument, Lizzie and her sister Emma left Fall River by coach for New Bedford. When Lizzie returned, she chose to stay in a rooming house for four days rather than in her own room in the family residence. So I don't know what that argument was about, but she's a brat. And, and that very well could be the case. Um, 12 in 1891, cash and jewelry were stolen from the master bedroom in the Borden home. It was an open secret that Lizzie was suspected of have been, having been the theft. Thanks. Right. Lizzie also had been accused by several local merchants for shoplifting. So I, I don't know. Maybe she she was a klepto. I, I have no idea. But well, and she apparently would, like you said in your yeah. in episode, would go steal things and then they would tell her father and he would go pay They'd for send them. him a bill. Yeah. Like, all right. And they would, uh, she would come in, she would leave and they'd walk around. Yeah. Now, did they probably do, you know, skim a little bit off the top? Oh, I was getting ready to say, oh yeah, yeah. Um, your daughter stole this, you know, but, 18 carat. <laughs> right. But even <laughs> in the situation where the jewelry and cash was missing from the master bedroom, yeah. remember they called the police. They made a big to-do out of it. Right. And everybody knew Lizzie had done, done it. it. Right. That's when they start. That's when they brought in the locks. Right. Yeah. Locks. Yeah. Or and, and started locking all the doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 13, immediately after the discovery of her parents' bodies, Lizzie sent various persons who came to help off of various errands. To run various errands? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems strange that a woman would choose to remain alone in a house if she thought a murderer still might be near. Don't it And on the loose. Don't it know? Yeah. 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 Um, 14, on August 7th, Three days after the murders, Alice Russell observed Lizzie burning her dress um, in the kitchen fire. So, and that's the one that they said had old paint. So, all of these add up to, and now they're circumstantial. They they kind of shift the light towards Lizzie being the murderer versus, um, you know, an intruder. intruder. Right. And I think, well... I, you know, I, in the back of my head, mm-hmm. pretty much decided, and I'm probably... You think Lizzie did it? I, I do, but I'm also, like, I'm I don't also know. close to being, if there's any other, I don't want to say evidence, if anything yeah. comes up that makes the slightest bit of sense, I'd go, oh, oh now yeah. that makes sense. I told well, like, 100%. But see, the thing is, is, like, all of these items, you know, like, uh, you know, the people who came to help out do various errands maybe she was very upset and didn't want to leave the house i mean i can't imagine let's pretend you had nothing to do with it and people came out to help and maybe you just didn't want anyone to see you maybe you were just really depressed so you sent people off right i don't know i i feel like a lot of these can be explained away um but a lot of these added up all together do point to her guilt. <laughs> I mean, I could be completely wrong, but like I said, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I could go either way at this point. I, I, there's just so much, uh, we don't know. And it just seems kind of silly that if you're going to inherit your father's money, you know, that he's going to die eventually. Why do you have to kill him? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, you were in line to inherit it. He was going to give you crap. 
Why did you have to kill her now? It's great. I think it's years and I go back. Just resentment. I go back to the snap theory or thought. My perspective is years and years and years. Clearly, since she was very young. Right. She had been um, persuaded. Oh, by her sister. By her sister. Egged on. To to not don't like her and this is why yeah we're gonna pick and we're gonna poke and we're gonna pride and i'm sure that carried on into her adult life and then anything that happened she did it was a freaking cry klepto maniac whatever yeah, stealing right. cash lend money it's a cry no, for attention yeah. it's a cry mm-hmm. for you know something's going on right and she snapped i don't know what happened that day but Who something knows? yeah something and gave. it was probably probably this is what i think Abby did something. Abby said something. Abby looked at her wrong. I don't and she know. was like, fuck that. I'm she done. Like, you're dead. Bitch. You're, you're done. And then she had to kill her father because she killed. And at that point, she's like, hey, yeah, might as well. Let's, let's ride this train wreck right on out. Maybe so. Maybe so. Now, that's a good theory. But that's what I think. Yeah. But um, that's just based on the little bit of research that I've done and what you've shared. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's definitely more pointed towards Lizzie being the, the murderer than someone else, in my opinion. I think so. Well, after the trial and after, you know, all said and done, um, Lizzie's supporters fell away um, and Lizzie was pretty much left alone. Um, with all the money that she had, she decided she was going to have all the things that she didn't have in her youth. Okay. So she bought a big, huge house on the hill, um, which is where she had always wanted to live. And she named it Maplecroft. She also asked to be called Lizbeth, which actually is her name. Right. But she will not want to call Lizzie anymore. And she stopped going to church because she knew nobody could forgive her sins. Yeah. So all the all the people that were supporting her and behind her, all those church people, yeah, she just was like, deuces, I'm out. Thanks. Well, Lizzie sealed her isolation in 1904 by striking up a friendship with Boston actress Nance O'Neill, which we talked about earlier. Right. Um, and and it was kind of like a, you know, questionable, you know, woman, woman, love, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, she threw a party complete with caterers and potted palms for the actress and her troupe. That night, Emma quietly moved out of the house and never spoke to her sister again. I think that says a lot. Yeah. So Emma, Emma did not approve of that relationship at all and had been living with Lizzie and she was her biz, you know, biggest supporter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, apparently Lizzie was just kind of gaga over this actress. And I don't know if she had treated Emma like crap after or, or what, but, um, Emma was like, I'm out, have your party, have your relationship with Nance. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Well, Lizzie died on June 1st, 1927 at the age of 66 in Fall River. And between 1904 and 1927, Emma and Lizzie had not been in touch at all, period. They never spoke. Um, But interestingly enough, her sister um, died 10 days later in New Hampshire. So, um, always sisters, I guess. I don't know. Did because I didn't see anywhere. Mm-hmm. Did and maybe I did. What did Emma die of? Oh, I can't remember. Um, it was uh, it was it um dysentery. Why am I it, thinking that? Was it that- was something I don't remember. Um, let's see. 
it's just, that's crazy. It was so close, right? Yeah. Well, that's why, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, lovers, um, you know, family members, you know, they end up, you know, dying very close to each other, you know, like man and wife. They didn't talk, um, right? For She had chronic nephritis. Nef- nephritis, okay. Yeah, I don't know what nephritis is. So they didn't sounds... talk for 23 years. Yeah. Since ni- 1904 until their death. And then I guess Emma hears that, oh, mm-hmm. Lizzie died. And um, yeah, I guess, I, I guess, yeah, it was like maybe hmm, interesting. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I find it very strange. Macabre. It's very. (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? I see what you did there. Yeah, it's late. I'm starving. Yeah. All right, guys. That is the story. Our case of Lizzie Borden chopping up her parents. Um, We'd love to know what you guys think. If you guys think that she did it or didn't do it in your theories. I I find it very interesting to read the different theories um, because, you know, maybe maybe somebody else's theory is right. So, uh, reach out to us. Um, you can Let shoot us, us an email, um, go to our website, click email, or, you know, send us direct at status at status You can also contact us on Facebook, Instagram, the twit, the twit. Yep. Um, and all of those good avenues. So, um, we look forward to, uh, our next episode on Sunday. Yeah. Maybe we'll actually do it on time. Yeah, we'll do it on time and we'll try to get it all wrapped up in it'll be one a, episode. Yep, it'll be a Carrie Fantastic. Yeah, I think I think we'll be able to do it. And I'm not going to butcher his name, um, but I'll give you a little bit of information about him. It's a French doctor and serial killer. His name is Marcel Petout. I am planning on doing some um, babble this week on... Um, Look at you. So I'm, I'm hoping I'll have some of these accents and whatever I need to... Or you're going to sound like a redneck Frenchman. Or I'll sound like a... <laughs> right, like a complete idiot. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. All we'll right. see how many times we have to take number four. I know I was going to say edit. Yeah. There'll be a lot of editing in that episode. So uh, we may give him an alternate name. Bob. But yeah, right. But extremely interesting um, serial killer who was convicted of multiple murders. And uh, this was in Paris during World War II. Oh, good. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. Super excited. All right, guys. Have a great week. Thanks, and uh, I hope everybody's status is awesome this week. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.